24 Legacy features all of the hallmarks of the classic 24 on Fox. The only thing missing? You! Check out 24legacyfans.com now and jump into the best discussions about 24 Legacy. Log on to 24legacyfans.com. That's 24legacyfans.com. An official partner of the 24podcast.com effort. Shield. It's an organization that both exists and doesn't exist all at the same time. For those in the know, Shield, the Strategic Homeland Intervention, Enforcement and Logistics Division, is the counterterrorism and intelligence agency run by Director Nick Fury. Its global reach, with thousands of operatives with differing skill sets across the globe, continues to grow. Shield's activities have been documented for a long time, both in comic books and feature films. Those legendary tales now transfer to the smaller screen in a weekly series on ABC via Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the findings of a crack team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. This is the detailed review of those chronicles. Set your life model decoy to take care of life's business for now. It's time for another episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast from Two Guys Talking. Establishing the ground rules is usually a boring, long, drawn-out affair inside of episodic television. Inside this episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 5, Episode 3, A Life Spent, we find that establishing the ground rules and learning about our present surroundings takes more than just a little orientation. New characters, new powers, new revelations, and a discovery on Earth's surface, you know, the place where people are sent to die and nothing can live. It's all here inside Season 5, Episode 3, A Life Spent, reviewed here during the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, a ton to get to inside this episode, but first, some quick housekeeping. Two guys talking Star Wars. Ah, the delicious nature of yet another Star Wars film arriving inside of theaters this week, Nick. We don't typically scream and holler when things come out to date the podcast, but with a new podcast being launched on the network in the guise of two guys talking Star Wars, we must, of course, refer to new podcasts as well as the newest movie being released this week on Thursday, The Last Jedi, which is actually getting really super positive inklings which is awesome i am trying to stay away from spoilers all over social media because Mm -hmm. i unfortunately will not be able to see the film until the end of the weekend end of the weekend okay so there's going to be a good three days of just people posting stuff all over the place and i'm gonna have to go into a media blackout yeah when i i've i've kind of gotten used to that especially on super huge movies like something like star wars Mm -hmm. i don't know that i have any more options anymore right You, you just you have to tone out social media you have to try and deliver what you can based on what is around mm-hmm. but then also not try to not get hit like a meteor in the face oh yeah by anything that's that's super stray i have a couple of friends that actually make their lives on social media by doing that oh, and well. it's uh it's frustrating but i know who to block so that's all right mm-hmm. anyway two guys talking star wars is another great podcast on the network that you must simply listen to if you have any interest at all in the 40 years now of star wars nostalgia history and fandom you must tune in to two guys talking star wars.com that's where chief christy giuseppe crisis negotiator pat doring and i are now reviewing each and every one of the classic star wars films rogue one star wars 
Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi in prelude to this whopper new movie to start stoking the cauldron of Star Wars fandom. It's really something special. We've just recently finished the Return of the Jedi capture, and man, it, it again transports me to times that I love to bathe in. Mm-hmm. And I know that all of you will also enjoy what you hear from Chris, Pat, and I over at twoguystalkingstarwars.com. You can pause this podcast if you like, crack open a new browser, it's Control N, <laughs> and go over to twoguystalkingstarwars.com. A quick housekeeping for sure this time, Nick, but now it's time to check out A Life Spent, our review of Season 5, Episode 3, during the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu Streaming. Sponsored by Acoustica's Mixed Craft Recording Software, Blogger's Bug, and the St. Charles Office Center. Extreme close-up! The damage that's been done. Wow, this is done super fast, and you don't really get to see nearly enough. Uh, I have a super ancient uh, high-def plasma screen inside of my office to watch this television program on. Mm -hmm. And it's extraordinary. It's just so damn dark, I can't quite tell what's going on. And that's too bad, because from what I can see, it would be really, really cool if you could actually see what they're building there. The production value... Of this season alone, and again, we're only in episode three. Yeah. But the production value on this season alone is Hollywood movie caliber. Yeah. I can't say any more about it. I, it's just I, that's that's just how good it is. Yeah. There's nothing inside again this episode, and we'll talk about the special effects scenes that we see. But there's nothing inside this episode that yanks you out of oh, time to step down to the television budget land. There's nothing <laughs> right, like yeah. that inside this episode. <laughs> The value of just pointed enough makeup to be, quote, uncomfortably grotesque. The other time I remember this happening was in one of the last, the next generation Star Trek films Mm. where they've got the, I've forgotten the name of the race, but they're the people that must have facelifts to get off, essentially. Oh, you're talking about Star Trek Insurrection, Insurrection. the the really, really long, boring episode (laughs) movie. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Anyway, that was the last Uh, time that I remember seeing an alien that was, quote, uncomfortably grotesque. Because it was, you know, there's none of those aliens you look at and you go, wow, I can't wait to stare at them them close up really, really soon again. It's very much the same here. The difference is that there's a curiosity on the end. Where instead of it being, ew, uncomfortably grotesque, it's uncomfortably grotesque? So that there's a question mark at the end where all of the Cree showcased people inside of this, I'm super curious about all of them. The, the Again, the production design inside of this, in particular the makeup, has mm-hmm. really, really got their game on. And it seems to me, and, and again, this is, this is really our first giant leap into understanding what the Cree are mm-hmm. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Really? True. We have seen the big burly soldier type Cree that have been walking around, the enforcers basically. And now we're seeing more of the demure, not as darkly blue, mm-hmm. you know, with chrysanthemum and, and creepy McSilver balls. Mm-hmm. They don't look imposing, but they're, you can definitely tell they're still Cree. Yeah. There, there are other chocolates in the box. Right. That's how I've compared this whole thing as we as we continue to meet different people. Right. So well, I'm 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 assuming that there is a uh, there's a cast. Mm-hmm. Imagine that a well developed cast system. Right. Who exactly. But it's but also 
not only is it status, but also genetics as well. You yeah. know, you breed your yeah. your big warrior ones. I would actually like to see a big female warrior one. I, we haven't seen something like that. I want to see a big, burly, female Cree warrior. Gemma doesn't always only hear him. Super creepy. This is very interesting because at the end of the last episode, what you and I had kind of provided the supposition was there would be one person that she heard and it would be him. Mm-hmm. And and just the, the the glancing concept of that being how it's going to work from now on, that was horrifying. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's yeah. enough where you go, it doesn't get any more step on the throat than that. And what happens inside this episode is that we see that that's not the case. Right. It's kind of a switch on, flip off, I, I will control you. And what I love is, as they continue throughout the episode, you can see how Chrysanthemum is absolutely using it as a control device. Yeah. And controlling what she can see and what she can interact or even wants to interact with. What I really appreciated were the small, tiny nods where the director chooses to let us see Gemma react to her seeing something. That's another level of direction that someone really would not have thought of unless you knew that you needed to see something like that. Right. And it really is well done inside this episode. Well, the fact that uh, we go in and out of experiencing what she can and cannot hear as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are times where we don't know what anybody's saying. It's yeah. just this this low hum. Yeah. When the, the closed captioning actually uses that, too, and says, here's white noise. Ah, okay. Says. Interesting. And when I love that, instead of just being silence and telling nobody that can't hear anything anyway, I love that they bother to go out of their way and actually share that. Mm-hmm. Because it really does make a difference. If, if you knew that there was some sound, but you didn't know what the sound was, well, that's, that would be something different if you never knew that it was there. Right. And that they bother to take that inside of what's going on here inside the script, that's awesome. And I just hold on to close captioning. Oh, yeah. But I just want to point out that me personally, I can speak for me. If I was put in that situation, I'd be freaked out. I'd be completely and totally freaked out. But this is a testament to season five Gemma compared to season one Gemma. Yeah. Gemma has grown as a character. And and you've noticed, except for the initial insertion of the liquid mercury device that flowed into her ear to take away her hearing. She hasn't freaked out. Yeah. She's very analytical. She's watching. She's observing. She's she's keeping her eyes on everything, trying to get a, a sense of what is going on, even though she can't hear what mm-hmm. is going on. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I think that is a testament to her character and the character development she's had on this show for the last five years. Yeah, as well as some real super deep growth inside the writing division of mm-hmm. understanding who this character is and how Gemma as a character would interact with not only the people she's never met, mm-hmm. but the people that are that are providing a boot on her throat. Uh, it, it's really well done. And again, it's that next level of interaction inside of the direction inside the episode. <laughs> who saw Quake shake the earth? Something that you and I only just glanced on inside of our last review was we were talking about how lore had been established in that, you know, you remember the the Sharknadoes? Yeah. Remember those and how prolific they were and how they destroyed things on Earth, remember? Okay, well, (laughs) if if they're using Sharknadoes as a piece of real-life lore, then you must call into suspect the fact that, quote, Quake destroyed the planet. Right. And... I think that there's a waft of that thrown through here, but that it is absolutely dead set law. This is what happened to Deke really does help power this episode. I would like to know 
why Deke is so dead set on this is how it was. What, where's your proof? How did you learn this? And I, I hope we get to that eventually. But you asked, I know who saw what happened to the earth. I'm not saying I know who saw Daisy destroy the world, but I know who saw the world crack in half. His name is Uatu, and he is the Watcher. Yeah. Also known as Stanley. Yeah, you want to really impress me, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. slash need to somehow wiggle their way into the MCU. Ha ha ha. Andrew, yeah, sure, bring, bring on the Watcher. <laughs> well, I, I, I can't imagine that happening anytime soon, but it would be really cool if they were able to somehow leech that impact into what we see inside this episode. That oh, would be yeah. awesome. Oh, yeah. Abby, the seizure experiencing inhuman. All right, so here we go, meeting yet another Inhuman. Now we know that Inhumans exist in the future. Mm-hmm. Cool, all right. In the future, and new ones. New no ones, less, yes. Right? Uh, we all, what we also learn as the episode goes by is that they recognize that there are Inhumans, mm-hmm. i.e. that there are people that have powers that... Evidently, everybody goes through terogenesis at age 18, according to what Abby was saying. Now I don't know if they do the genetic testing to say, okay, so you have Cree DNA, you will be tested, you will go through terogenesis at 18, or Mm -hmm. if the process has become safe for humans, because remember, if you didn't have Cree DNA, you're dead. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the watered-down version was is like, oh, I can take this fish oil and and I'll feel healthy and not turn into a, not, not develop a uh, ashy exterior and, and turn into a uh, a cocoon for a short period of time and then bust out being all inhuman like yeah it's very interesting we'll learn more about her in just a few minutes as we run through some other points colson digs in deep with virgil guilt this is excellent and i love that the directors and writers are so brave to help convey things like this because this is what happens a lot of time in leadership roles. Right. You instantly toss people into the deep end and say, okay, kick your legs, stretch your arms out a little bit, or you are going to die. Now, they don't say that. What they do is they just dunk a bunch of guilt on you and then walk away. Mm-hmm. And now it's time for the cream to rise. That's it. That, that's all that happens here. And I love that it's painted so innocuously inside this episode. And it's delivered by the guy that should be delivering things like like that. Right. You know, the leader, the guy in charge, Colson. This is how things are. This is how we do things. This is how we solve this is how we're going to solve the problem. You can either help, which you should because, you know, your friend wanted this to happen. Right. If not, your friend your friend made this happen yeah. and uh you're doing nothing to help his memory right. by not helping us. So uh right. Get with the program. Well, and I love that. Again, where, where he goes to shovel the guilt then is, and, you know, if you don't, that's okay, but your friend died for nothing. Right. I, I love that. I love that shovel of guilt because it instantly will propel the people that care and can help you into the position they need to be propelled to succeed. Right. It, it really is well done, and I wanted to make sure that we emphasize that and how much it's appreciated. The trouble with density. This is great. I think mostly because as I was trying to type the word density, I kept thinking of Back to the Future. and Density you, has <laughs> popped me to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, George McFly. You are, you are my density. I mean, 
my destiny. <laughs> Another nod to, to Back to the Future that uh, we would love all of you to go and check out twoguystalking.com forward slash Back to the Future because our, our romp perspective review of that is such a ton of fun. Anyway, back in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the focusing on density inside of this uh, alludes to a great many characters in Marvel history that have the skill set of being able to change their density, mm-hmm. whether it is like... Kitty Pride, also Kitty, known as uh, Shadowcat from the X-Men comics. Right, or any of the other myriad of characters. The Vision has the ability to change his density. He, yeah. can, he can float and be ghost-like, or he can be extremely heavy yeah. and dense. Yeah. There are several other characters uh, from the DC universe. Uh, Martian Manhunter also has the same, uh, the same ability. Yeah. And the list goes on. Yeah. And it's great that that's showcased here, but more importantly, the front end of it is showcased, i.e. she doesn't have any idea what she's doing. In fact, mm. she thinks it's just some deficit. She knows that something is going on, but she has absolutely no ability to control anything at all. And so it's just a deficit. It doesn't propel her or make anything good happen. And now she's even got some more guilt on top of her because if she doesn't perform, guess whose family gets murdered? Right. So uh, that's fun. And it's fun to watch this happen. More importantly, and we'll get into it a little bit later, what happens to her inside the episode, especially at the end of that ebb, is extraordinary. Also like to point out, that I'm I'm very happy that they're still showing the consequences to having inhuman abilities. Yeah, me too. Because remember, when Daisy first got her powers, she was shaking her bones apart. Yeah. You know, she had to wear the gauntlets. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see that they're continuing that trend, even here in the future, almost 100 years into the future, yeah. that, okay, so this little girl, she can she can either be like a ghost or as solid as a diamond, but when she can't really control her powers, she she has seizures, mm-hmm. horrible, debilitating seizures. Yeah, I like the trade off. I like the you can do this, but this is going to happen to you if you do. I also this is something we've talked about since ever inside of everything Marvel, and it's where they show that there is a skill set that has to be attained, mm. as opposed to just a switch gets flipped and oh look now I'm king of my own density. Right. Uh, I really like that we get to experience all of that and more inside this episode. Inhibitors engaged. This is outstanding as well. I love that there are details and ways of control that are always going to be there. Mm -hmm. And that they bother to use them as a mechanism inside of the storytelling. Total thumbs up. Yeah, It's stupid, simple storytelling. And it's something that I wish more series and efforts would take the time to use when you've already put them in place. Right. You lose nothing by using things that you already have in place. And again, this is very, uh, and and I I will say it, it is very stereotypical for a dystopian future. I agree with that. But. Big brother monitoring. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's always, you always got to have some sort of something to control the masses, control your slave labor. And this is exactly what this does. Yeah. But it's done in an interesting way and it's, it, we're experiencing it. Through characters who are not used to this, yeah, that's the that's the yeah. that's the whole twist to it. Usually, if we're watching a dystopian movie or a, a storyline, it's people who have grown up in this dystopian world. Yeah, we've got characters who aren't used to this, and we're experiencing it just like they are through their eyes. Yeah, and and I love it. The concept of the trawler—that's cool. Oh, yeah. This is great. As if that ship couldn't possibly get any more awesome from last episode's Discovery missions. 
uh, this is awesome. It opens its maw and goes and collects shit collects that's just floating that, yeah. in outer space chunks, to, to grab rock, stuff yeah. to see how you can score. I love it. I, I love that it's stupid simple. It allows you to grow another completely different class of people, mm-hmm. just like you have the fishermen inside of the the Deadliest Catch series who, right. you know, they, they make a giant ton of money, but you know what? They're out there hucking fish. Mm-hmm. So... I loved seeing this. I love seeing the infrastructure that's built, but then also what your imagination can do with that infrastructure to build everything that you see inside of Shock Station 1. It's it's incredibly effective, detailed storytelling that after it's told once, you don't ever have to revisit it again. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Who would have thought that? I love seeing the, the graphics for it. I love watching the front of that ship just open up yeah. and... And space rocks just float right in. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. And again, it's, it's, production it's, value. Right. It's beautiful. Right. The other thing that they uh, go back and listen to this inside of whatever sound system that you've got when you're when you guys are watching this. What you'll notice if you listen real well, especially when they got the camera on May, you'll hear the rocks being collected down below. Mm-hmm. They'll have the bass and the the front lowest speaker collecting rocks. It's it. It's so stupid. Simple. And you only hear it when you're back in the cockpit because. Right. There is no noise in space. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's incredibly well done, and it's simple. That's what I love about all this. Colson and May sitting in a tree. This was good. This was probably my favorite usage of anything that is relationship-based that we've seen that involves Colson and May in probably a season and a half. I think the, the last time I can remember really being endeared by that was the very first ebbings of us seeing... The, the eggshells that were being cracked on both sides to try and decide yes. whether or not something was going to be engaged or related to or not. Just before May was turned into a, it was replaced by a robot. <laughs> right, right. Right. And this is excellent. This is real. This is where if it was happening to me, I can imagine that is what would happen step by step by step. Right. It this this was actually very it was needed. It was appreciated. It's only been a matter of now probably days mm-hmm. since they got out. It may even says it. I've spent weeks strapped to a to a, a you know a plank hooked up to the framework. You know, then I get I get shoved off into space into the future. I want to go home. I deserve a night in my own bed. And we have to remember this is this is a constant boom 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 things are happening to these characters and mm-hmm. they haven't had the time to decompress and talk about their feelings. Yeah. But just with a hand gesture, we know that these two people care about each other deeply, but they know that they can't deal with that until they're done with this mission. Yes. And that that future toss progression in that there is something else that can be taken care of and focused on after we're done. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that because it, it's structured storytelling that allows you to have some sense of anticipation of what you can expect to see or might see in a future episode or maybe even a future season that is thrown, it's thrown like a long distance Hail Mary pass. Mm-hmm. You know it's going to come down, you just don't know when, Right. but then it's been thrown, it equals quality. <laughs> Getting Yo-Yo's stealing scene done. All right, I have props, and I also have negatives for this. Something you and I talked about, I think it's almost exactly a season ago, is I'm still on the I white hot hate the slow motion I am moving fastness of when they show Yo-Yo going and doing whatever she's doing instantaneously. Mm-hmm. I, I can't 
what I really hate though is I can't tell you what it should look like that it would make it better. Right. And that they're doing it and that they have to do it to foster the storytelling and then snap two. Because what I do like, what is good, is all the storytelling after they have to slow-mo her. Right. When she snaps back and, and the the clicking storyline that happens after that inside this episode, I think that's exquisite. I just know that I hates me the slowdown time to watch I, I, well, I, I don't I don't care for that and I can't quite articulate why and more importantly I can't tell you what it should look like instead we've seen this in in film and in other TV shows and everybody does it a little bit differently sometimes everything just completely stops mm-hmm. and your your character who can move fast is just moving normally yeah and everybody else is 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 completely still and they do what they need to do and then snap back to reality Boom. yeah yeah. Other times, there's they have a, a graphic that goes along that shows they're moving differently than others. I appreciate the fact that they want to show that Yo-Yo is doing something, and it's not just that standard, oh, everybody else is frozen, because she doesn't really move that fast. Right. But, again, I agree with you. It, it could look different. I can't articulate on how it should look right. because I've seen it everywhere else. I, I don't really think there's a new, fresh way to actually I, pull this thing well, off. And I, I don't either, and I think we can look at the most recent Justice League film to really showcase uh, what they have conveyed as a different way to show the Flash mm. that provides something solely different than what you have seen inside of other things. And that's actually a great call to the audience. There you go. We're curious to know what you think this should look like or feel like or what we should experience as viewers when things like this happen when yo-yo is doing it let us know what you think by going over to our facebook presence that's facebook.com forward slash shield podcast click anywhere inside of one of the threads that's running or start your own and tell us what you think dear gravity i love this too gravity is such an equalizer and i love that in a very short period of time, they're able to pull off that gravity has been alleviated inside of the room and that it is re-engaged. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's perfect. Yeah, simple. There's there's nothing that needs to happen. You, we don't need to see the flippy washer in mid-space to make sure that we're in zero-G gravity. We don't need to see liquid floating ominously around to know that... There is no gravity at this moment. No, right. no, we don't. We don't need that. Right. And what they did here was perfectly conveyed, and I, I'm I'm super appreciative of what we see. Gemma's Yoda moment. Wow, almost pseudo verbatim. I'm not entirely sure they didn't plan this, but in the week that Star Wars arrives inside of theaters everywhere worldwide, they have an episode of Agents of Shield where I'm not kidding. All Gemma needed was to be painted green and shoved on a jungle planet, and she is Yoda inside this scene with instructing young Abby. And I was absolutely fine with it because it's solely original, but it is a wonderful nod to everything inside of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe maybe that was the inspiration for the character. Maybe that's how she decided she was going to go into this was like okay how do i help this girl well i'm going i'm going to yoda it yeah yeah honestly 
That's the easiest way to do it. Oh, and it, I mean, it, it was perfect. I'm not knocking it at all. In fact, I th- again, it's handled as an homage rather mm, than it being right. a complete ripoff. Right. It's not like she went and grabbed a cane and suddenly had a, a clutch moment. Yeah, she didn't and, start going, oh, do or do not. Yeah. There is no try. <laughs> yeah, she didn't start tucking in, in tongues or backwards. So it's excellent. And for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, what I'm talking about is when Gemma really does take a moment to try and explain the process of utilizing Abby's powers to Abby. It is, I'm not kidding, if I had the quotes next to each other, which I'll tell you what, we'll put those, those inside the, inside it's the show. It's almost the same way that Yoda describes what the Force is. It's exactly the it's, same. It, it, it's not the same words, but it is the exact same meaning. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. we're all made up of this... And, and it surrounds in, in us. In between the, those spaces, there's there's more space. And mm-hmm. be the stars, and it's all connected, and we're all part of the same thing. It's not just crude matter. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it really is yeah. excellent. And again, I had a giant smile on my face, which I hope the writers and director were going, you know what, everybody's going to smile their ass off when they hear this inside this episode. Because I did. Yeah. I absolutely did. Mission accomplished. <laughs> The being thrown problem, but also consequence. For those of you that have been listening to me long enough, in particular, inside of our TerminatorPodcast.com efforts, you'll know my earnest hatred of any time a character is simply thrown by a dastardly evil villain. Because for all the power it takes to throw uh, the hero or pseudo-hero or the guy that's going to die soon, it would be simply as easy to, like Miyagi says like grape to their head or something equally as simple that doesn't require somebody being thrown. Being thrown is something that I think is used way too wildly inside of Hollywood in just about every incarnation, whether it's a normal guy throwing a normal guy who just happens to be smaller than he is. Or in this case where we've got a gargantuan battle, battle torn warrior who's wrecking Abby inside of this pseudo not even close to being a gladiator match. And I hate it when people are thrown. Except, of course, when the throwing consequences are showcased, which they are in spades inside this episode. The scenes here that are shown where Abby is being thrown around, there's damage. Mm -hmm. Guess what, people? When you get your ass thrown 12 feet, nothing good happens when you land. Right, right. And that they bother to showcase that, and it's not just a grunt, and then she stands up and is able to run away or something. That's value. What you also see is that it stacks, just like back in the day of Dungeons and Dragons, where there are a series of damage points that you get as things de-escalate inside of the scale you have in regard to hit points. It's exactly the same thing here. She becomes more and more debilitated. You can see that she's losing hope. You know that hope is going out the window for Abby, except that it doesn't. And that they were able to even think about there being a showcase of consequence in regard to being thrown as well as the being thrown stuff thumbs up to the writers of agents of shield again because it doesn't happen nearly enough inside of any property the one that i love to rail on is terminator salvation let me get this straight the arnold terminator is holding the guy in his hand that if he dies everything works out for cyberdyne Sounds to me like he's got to die real quick, right? So, like, grape, right? Wrong. Time to throw him at least four times throughout the next series of 11 minutes where nothing good happens to the Terminator. He ends up having his flesh burned off, and guess what? The Terminator fails again. That's stupid writing. Nothing at all happened to him being thrown, except that he wasn't dead yet. 
And I, I, I abhor that inside of writing, inside of entertainment in general. Well, and th therein lies the problem. It's a catch-22 when you're dealing with stuff like that because, yes, the most logical explanation in a situation like that is crush like grape. But if you crush like grape, well, now you don't have the five-minute fight scene that you need for this film or this five-minute fight scene that you need for this television series. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're also killing a character, and that's not what you probably want to do. Right. Now, if it's a throwaway character, if it's a character we, we don't care about, then of then course they don't care if right. they kill them or not. Right, right. I agree. He, he, so, so I totally agree that it is, it, it's a trope and it's overused. And this example, not. Because this is a gladiator match. Mm -hmm. This giant creature, I think, even if it wasn't Abby, if he was going up against anybody... He would take his time. Right. Dog wants then, to shake the toy. And I then I will I and then I will eventually break you. You know, it's it's a build up to the final blow. And this makes complete sense. It's a gladiator match. But we're also, like you said, seeing the consequences. Abby is actually writhing around in pain. Unlike if it was, you know, like maybe uh Agent Grant Ward, he'd uh give a little grimace and get right back up and uh Dig in with a couple of body jabs. Yeah. But we're not dealing with that. We're actually dealing with a little bit of sense of reality here yeah. to where you're getting tossed by a giant alien creature. Yeah, you're going to feel that. Right, right. And here is the trump card to what you just said in regard to it not working out as a solution. You put you and I in charge of conveying a five-minute fight that cannot include anything in the way of throwing that has to be original. Guess what's going to happen? You and I are going to figure it out. Yeah. And that's why if you and I can sit and figure that out, I don't understand how the people that get paid to write entertaining, engaging television can't somehow figure it out. Now, in this case, they didn't need to right? because they did figure it out with the throwing. But there is a way to write this scene complete with the way that however big that room was, which it was not huge. No, no. How, however large the area, however many people were included, however many characters and their stories that are supposed to be involved are in there, there was a way to tell this story alternatively. And in another instance, not this instance, again, this one was fine, mm -hmm. but in other instances that they can't somehow find a well to dig deeper, to find something original that doesn't just include three or four throws before the hero then knocks the giant gladiatorial Goliath on their ass and they win. I, I call total BS on that. There has to be a way to find something happier that gets everybody satisfied and makes the story stronger rather than grabbing a trope and swinging across the, the gully like Luke and Leia in Star Wars. Gemma did a great job in polishing the prize. I, I love it when we get to refer to things like The Empire Strikes Back because... Not to spoil that podcast for anybody, but over to guystalkingstarwars.com, you can listen to our perspective review of that entire thing that, believe it or not, is actually 26 minutes longer than the actual film. It's an outstanding podcast, and one of the hallmarks that we get to at the end of that podcast is that, and this is like the big takeaway of everything Empire Strikes Back, regardless of who you are and when you see it, the good guys lose big. Mm. I mean, like, huge Nothing good happens at the end, for the good guys in general, at the end of Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. 
And that is exactly what happens at the end of this fight. Sure, Abby is able to become victorious and find a way to utilize her power so that, and and I thought it was handled perfectly, by the way, that the Goliath is taken down incredibly quickly, much faster than anybody would have ever anticipated. But the consequence that I love that they bothered to showcase is that now Abby gets taken. She gets sold. She gets sold to this other alien race. it's It's extraordinary. And this is the kind of thick writing that can happen inside of episodic television if, if it is allowed to happen. And they do. It happens here. It's wonderful. Mm. Finally, seeing a clever, in-trouble villain. You and I have talked about so many idiot villains, not only inside this television show, but inside of probably anything that you and I have ever reviewed together and all the stuff that you've reviewed with anybody else Mm -hmm. inside of any other podcast environment. The, the stupid villain that nothing went their way, and so I guess they're just going to go sit in the corner and coddle until something else happens. I don't know. Well, we don't get that here. What we get here is there is a villain that's on another level of the ship that realizes nothing good is happening here. If I don't do something, I'm probably going to die, so I'm going to do something. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cut the fuel lines. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. This is what smart criminals, regardless of whether or not their life is in peril, would do. They would try to do something. Something that uh, Chris Pat and I talked about inside of, the, um, inside of all of the Star Wars perspective reviews is this. The bad guys need to be thinking of things like the good guys think about it, too. Because in the perspective of the bad guys, the good guys are the bad guys. Mm, yeah. And so having that teeter-totter and that play is another great hallmark of everything that happens inside of Star Wars. Every time there's something that's happening good, quote, for our heroes inside the storytelling, there's something equally going on on the other side, whether it's amassing troops, whether it's coming up with a different plan to ensnare Luke Skywalker, whether it's collecting a sortie of, uh, of badass bounty hunters to help augment the search of finding the rebels. Mm-hmm. You know, all this other stuff that happens on the other side, you know, the bad guy side. That's what makes it endearing. And we're able to see a slice of that inside of this episode as well. It's genius writing, and it's so quick. That that brevity moment of being able to inspire and ignite that the concept of that the bad guys are going to think of something dastardly as well that doesn't serve you at all, but helps them in their effort. Because right. that's what happens here. Oh, yeah. The slicing of the fuel lines inside of this helps everything on that guy's side. Look. You guys are probably going to kill me anyway. All you got to do is open the hatch and I float out into space frozen. But you know what? If you're going to do that, sh- opens up his pocket knife, goes over and slits the the fuel lines. Up yours, buddy. Holding the big old magic middle fingers of the people up top. Right. Okay, well, that's what I expect from bad, bad guys. Deke's endless advice scene. This was excellent, and it also showcases, I, I don't know who the Deke actor is, but it showcases him wonderfully, so much so that I would have thrown him in to accidentally mistake him for Aaron Eckhart. Hmm. He has the same cadence, some of the same facial structure, very similar in, inside of this, so much so that I could totally see Aaron Eckhart playing this, except that Aaron Eckhart's not going to d- jump down several pay scales to jump into a, a part like this. Um, but it was excellent. The, the the banter and the conviction here 
that you get from Deke as he's bantering with Quake slash Daisy slash Sky really is excellent and shows his absolute lockjaw dedication that nothing good is going to come unless something changes. I love how sold he is. It's 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 all about conviction. It's all about. That's very well. Said. Your, yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's it's it's. This is how I feel. This is what I think, and I'm going to stand by this. Deke is very much that that way. It's not that Deke doesn't want to help. It's Deke can't help right now. Yeah. What you want to do, Daisy, is just storm the castle, and he even says that you're storming the castle and you're going to die. Yeah. Which. Technically speaking, he's probably right. I mean, yes. I, I, well, I'm, look, look I'm, I'm watching it. Yeah, look exactly. Experience. He has the experience in but this future. Virgil is a perfect sample. Look, there's the guy that's going for it. Dead. Dead. Yeah, crunch. But again, we, I also understand Daisy's point of view to where, you know, we don't leave a man behind. Right. I'm going to go and save my teammate. Yeah. And see, I, I just. Period. I, there, there is no debate. Right. I don't think Deke has a, a frame of reference for anything like that. That's, yeah. That's why he can't wrap his mind around it is because there is no frame of reference like that. There is no compassion in this future. Not only is there there's no compassion, there's no loyalty. Mm. The only reason that, that there was any interaction going on with Virgil, cash. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the only reason that it was going on. There was no loyalty inside of the, 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 the deal, the situation that he manufactured. And we're starting to see how that is affecting our characters. We see how it affects Deke later on yeah. in the episode. We also see how it affects Tess mm-hmm. later on in the episode. Yeah. Will the load get dumped anyway? I'll tell you what. This is where I was ready to trumpet your love of what they had been doing with Mac at the beginning of this season inside of the first and second episodes Mm. where it was a completely different Mac than what we had seen previously. Not one that I particularly liked either. I have to be truthful. And what I thought was going to happen was I thought the story was going to progress so much so that not only did the fuel lines get cut and they solve and figure that out. Okay. But then something else would happen where you realize this guy is not going to go down without a fight and he's going to get everybody pinched mm-hmm. slash dead slash tortured slash whatever. And so it would fall to Mac to make the call to, quote, dump the load. What kind of awesome impact storytelling would that have been? Because he just got done telling What's-Her-Face, look, man, we're S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D. do not dump people into space just because it's convenient. We don't it's murder going to be a solution, people. Right. Uh, and that he would have been able to then have to pivot because that that's really where the, the most endearing endearing storytelling happens is when a character regardless of their own morals is forced to pivot because if they don't everybody dies or if they don't something really really bad happens that can be avoided and that you've got to take on that responsibility true and that is something i think that a lot of our heroes especially inside of this show the heroes are able to take on responsibility they've shown that Time and time again. And so I think that might have been a missed opportunity inside this episode. No, uh, you know what? I'm going to have to disagree with you there because of the way the rest of the episode plays out. I agree with that. This this actually, Mac is a man of his morals, and he stands by it to to, to his detriment sometimes. Agreed. Agreed. And I find that's that's just as interesting Mm -hmm. Mm storytelling-wise as a character that has to bend their morals because... As we know, no, we're not going to kill this guy. They end up going back to the base, mm-hmm. and yet they still they're, they're they're still standing there in judgment 
we actually have tests. The one who wanted to kill this guy, just dump him in space, actually takes the fall for our heroes to save them, to put all the heat on her. But Yo-Yo takes care of the problem herself. Mm-hmm. Yo-Yo plants evidence on sub-boss. Mm-hmm. The clever villain. The clever, mm-hmm. the, the yeah. clever in-trouble villain. Mm-hmm. And everything's solved. The guy still is sentenced to die. So whether you, quote-unquote, murdered him by dumping him in space or frame him for something he didn't do and have him dumped in space anyway, the results are the same. And I specifically remember watching Mac's face during all of this. Mm-hmm. And what do we see? Knowing, knowing that I can't say anything or else we're all dead. Yeah. I have to let this happen. So now I'm hoping moving forward, Mac is going to have to deal with the consequences mm-hmm. of his actions because yeah. consequences is what makes the stories for personal growth of character more interesting. Yeah. Dealing with those consequences. And not only that, but it's the consequences with his girlfriend, mm-hmm. with his love interest. Mm-hmm. And, she and is all going, of their futures. And all of their futures, but specifically the two of them. It's like, well, how could you do that? Well, if I didn't, we're all dead. Yeah, but still. Yeah, no, but still. See, that's that's something that I'm hoping that, you know, continues forward yeah. as the as the season yeah. progresses. It, it, what I love is as we get to the end of this point, I really do see it as six and one half dozen of another. Mm-hmm. Because eventually we have to get to the same the same conclusion. The difference is that Yo-Yo's conclusion instantly helps subvert any wrongdoing. They don't have to get back and go, no idea what happened, man. It was an accident and he just he got shoved that into space. Like I, I guess he needed to get a cheeseburger and forgot we were in it space. It works in everybody's favor. Well, except for the clever villain. It works in everybody else's favor. Not only do they look good to the overboss, the guy from Identity, but... They've taken. They've gotten rid of the guy that's going to give them the most trouble. Yeah. And now they freed themselves up to where they can continue with their trying to find out why they're in the future plan. Creepy McSilverballs speaks. This was excellent. That only one word, compassion, is used, helps to introduce that obviously. This environment that all of these people are experiencing is devoid of not only a bunch of human elements, but of compassion. Right. And I love that they just give her that. They just give her this one comment. It's incredibly effective storytelling, but what it really is, is excellent character development. You name her creepy McSilverballs because it's, you know, very much on the nose, but she is a very creepy character. Totally. Totally. And something that we already talked about inside of the first and second uh, hour reviews is, again, they have completely succeeded in casting someone that looks alien. Mm-hmm. She has a Her look Her movements that, yeah. are alien as well. Very predatory. Yeah. Super, super perfect on. You know, Gemma, Gemma tries to intervene during the gladiator match, and all she has to do is hold up the silver balls and twirl them a few more times, and that's it. She doesn't have to say anything. She doesn't have to strike a threatening pose. It's, you know what I can do, and I'll do it with these if you don't take a step back and shut up. Yeah, just zip zip it. Yep, zip it. That's it. Total submersion experience with 17 minutes left. When we get to 17 minutes left inside the episode... It's when I clicked on the timeline to see how many minutes we had left. 
and it's where I'm absolutely taken by the story. I'm 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 all in. I'm, all mm. my chips are pushed into the center of the table because I totally believe what I'm seeing and experiencing in regard to storytelling. And when I have to go check the time, that's when I know that I'm sold. Ah, because I there are many times, and I always use it as a frame of reference. And I probably should. No, it's easy. You, you go back to any episode of Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> and you get You're 40... always going to pick hey, on Star Trek Voyager. If, boy's going to pick. <laughs> anyway, you get to any episode of Star Trek Voyager, and you get 41 minutes in, and guess what? Time for techno babble, quick ass solution. <sighs> Again, and hey, look, at 43 minutes and 34 seconds, the day is saved. Awesome. So we don't get that inside this show, and I am totally appreciative of it. You know, because that's, it, ha- that, that, that's also what happens in <laughs> half of the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes, too, Mike. Right, but not all of them. Not all of them, but not there's the some of that, too. Of either. Not yeah. the vast majority of them, either. In fact, hey, let's take an entire ship Most of Most medical people. dramas are exactly like that. Let's take an entire ship of people and have them travel to the Delta or to the Gamma Quadrant where they should have experiencing things they've never, ever seen before. Hey, except that it's all incredibly familiar. <laughs> More. <laughs> no, that's not how it's supposed to work. Uh, <laughs> right, anyway, so <laughs> off more endless shame for Voyager. Anyway, the, the gist here is that with 17 minutes left in the episode, I was absolutely taken by the storytelling inside this episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, see, I only paused the episode once and when I paused the episode I was like oh okay yeah we have to be only halfway through uh you know I'm gonna go grab myself a drink you know there's plenty of more story left and I I I hit the pause button and it says seven minutes left I'm like no there could be that little story left I'm 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 having so much fun I'm so immersed Mm -hmm. and uh again like you said it 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 goes to the quality of the show yeah to where you can see how much time is left over for the episode and go like, well, that can't be right. Right. I yeah. haven't I haven't been sitting here that long. I haven't been watching that. The time just goes by because you are immersed. Yeah. Opening up a can of Quake Ass. This is awesome. It's been way too long since we've seen Daisy really kick some ass. And so uh, while it's definitely not just open up and instant liquefy mode which is by the way if you've forgotten uh, yes that's that's mike's default yeah, set I, right there I, if, if he had those powers if i was wearing the gauntlets there'd be one button on them and it would be the word liquefy <laughs> and i would just point my finger at, at whomever i needed to just as beard would go yep yep and they'd be like guape <laughs> anyway what we get to see here is everybody loves a fight in an elevator especially when it's well choreographed and that's where this one starts. Marvel does and... great, well choreographed elevator fight scenes, <laughs> going all stretching all the way back to Winter Soldier. Yeah, this... great fight scenes in elevators. The thing that I have to make, I, I have to make a point out because you don't actually have it in the show notes, but it's in during this part. Yep, it's it's when the stealth mission goes off the rails and turns into a fight scene. I almost jumped out of my chair and said, "Come on, give me a break." Because, you know, we got the Kree getting ready to walk into the elevator. There's Daisy. And then all of a sudden, whoa, wait, where'd Daisy go? Well, she's now up in the conveniently placed... Recessed lighting. Right. Right. 
holding herself up. Now, now I'm thinking, okay, well, how did she get up there so quick? Well, she quaked herself up there, which I can totally believe, a silent shimmy shimmy shake, and she's up there. <laughs> that I can buy. The fact that she's holding herself there, and then now, now you've got two Kree guards come in, and I'm like, they're showing that she's no, oh, she's quaking. She's right. quaking. She, mm -hmm. she, she can't hold on for much longer. And then they'll walk out of the elevator, and she'll she'll drop down just in the last moment. And then all of a sudden, squeak, and she goes, "I really thought this was going to work." And I'm like, "Brilliant! Yeah. Thank you." Yeah. Taking a movie trope to where the hero would have gotten away with it mm -hmm. to continue their stealth mission, and flipping it to where it's more realistic. Like, no, it's not going to work. And then you have to go toe to toe to toe with two giant blue Kree soldiers. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah, I, I love this too. And I, all I can tell you, Nick, is that if there was one liquefy button on her gauntlets, it would have been a stealth mission and some puddles of goo. That's all I can tell you. That's all I can tell you. Beware of the Wilkerson liquefy mode. The consequences of tossing a 500-pound alien into the control panel... Also brilliant. <laughs> also totally brilliant. And something that totally gets completely discarded in the can of common sense inside of, I think, just about every single movie I have ever seen. Here is this stupidly dense alien. Okay, fine. You're going to open up the can of quake ass on them inside the elevator. That's fine. Whatever. You're going to completely destroy them, although not liquefy them. Fine. Okay, I'm there. And when you throw them into the control panel, you know what's going to happen? You're not going to be able to progress inside of the conveyance because you've just destroyed the control panel. Well, not only does this fight... It was fight brilliant. It was brilliant. Well, not not only does the fight destroy the control panel, but it also destroys the little tablet that they had stolen. Yeah. The whole reason for Yo-Yo sneaking into the overboss's locker to yeah. get it back for Daisy so that they go... To, uh, the MacGuffin is destroyed. Yeah. yeah. I loved it. Me, yeah, me too. Planting evidence and how speed kills we've already kind of referred to this and that right. the evidence gets planted and it is spectacular yeah this is how yo-yo's powers are displayed incredibly effectively and how the story can help pay off not only an excellent get out of jail free card mm -hmm. but that that option is always going to be there for her I love it. I love it that it is a card that can be pulled out in almost any time where they're going to need it in the future until you can't. And that we even see kind of a dance on that when it's first noticed that there's something going on with your with your, with your, with your metric. Come yeah. on over here. And then we have the slow-mo scene, which I didn't care for. But what that did give you was that there is a way to, or that, that her movements are detected. Mm -hmm. And that they could be detected. And so with maybe perhaps some tweaking that guy could figure out what's going on and maybe we'll have that as a pressure point in the future. Probably. And, Possibly, and I love that. Yeah. I love that we're being shown progression in regard to technology, but also process and that the underboss is not just another stupid villain guy. Yeah. There's, there's, there, there are mechanisms and motion that's happening inside the brain and it's not just somebody thudding their hand against the wall because you can thud your hand against the wall. Well, this also shows how cutthroat the future is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this guy has the, smart villain has probably worked for the overboss guy for a while. I mean, yeah. he's his right-hand man. Mm -hmm. Yet, he see, he searches him, sees the gun, and doesn't even ask questions. Yeah, The guy's saying, no, it's a, oh, it, it, it's not, no, this isn't mine. I didn't do this. Doesn't care. I found the evidence. 
this must be real. I'm reporting you to the Cree. Judge, jury, executioner. And, right. and it just yeah. shows that there is no compassion. Compassion is gone. It is extinct in this world. And that's scary. It's one of the reasons why this future is so brutal. Deke turns coat. So that's why it's not Star-Lord. Something you and I have hypothesized inside of the beginning of uh, orientation, the first two episodes of this season, was, man, that guy's incredibly Star-Lord-like. Why on earth didn't they just get Star-Lord? And then you're roping in the Guardians of the Galaxy and prelude to the, the upcoming Infinity War films that are coming. Well, well Star-Lord is... Star won't live to, for another hundred years to be in the future. It'd have to be like Star-Lord Star the third. Right, but uh, wait, except that we're in the middle of a time travel episode, Nick. <laughs> I hate to burst your collective. So now you're telling me that you bubble. also want the Guardians of the Galaxy to travel into the future? No, I don't. But if we're going to give a guy, if we're going to have a guy that acts, looks, and is essentially Star Lord, inside the first two episodes, it's not just me. It's not just me. There are other people that have said exactly the same thing. And now we understand why it's not Star Lord because we could not have possibly had Peter giving up Quake inside of this story. Well, Peter wouldn't have done most of the stuff that Deke has done in the three episodes we've known him. I, I, see, I don't know, because Peter, especially early Peter, Peter would have sunk himself for money. He wouldn't have known any difference. True. I, I think eventually if we start getting prequel movies for the Guardians of the Galaxy before they were the Guardians of the Galaxy, I think that's exactly what you'd see. It's all profiteering. It's it's what what's-his-face with the mohawk taught the dude. Yondo. Yeah. True. But it was the whole reason why he broke away from Yondo. He wanted right. to be his own guy. Sure. But there was a period of time where now it's time for me to go get cash and the stories that are involved in that in that line of thinking. Right. Okay. Okay. Regardless, this is this is a trope. <laughs> this is the first of two things that I was like, oh, come on. Because when, as Daisy is slowly falling to sleep... Because evidently that gas acts real quick because she couldn't quake herself out of it. Deke goes, looks at her while still talking to Chrysanthemum, saying, it's all right, I play the long game. Going back to a conversation that he had when he was trying to convince her not to go storm the castle. You're thinking of the short term. Think of the long game. You got to put, you got to play the long con. So I already know that. He's got some plan, and this is all a part of his plan, to keep her alive. But eventually, he's still going to be on the side of the good guys. This is not him turning. This is him la being Lando. This is a total Lando Calrissian move right here. I'm going to do this, but what you don't know is I'm also working on ways to get us out of this. But just keep you alive, I have to hand you over to the bad guys before you do something that I can't save you from. I, I actually, I didn't, I didn't really, I don't care for that. I don't care because, again, I've seen it way too many times. And unlike things that we have seen over and over and over again in other medium that they do in this show, even in this episode, that they switch and, and turn on its ear and do differently, they didn't do it here. So, one demerit for Gryffindor. I have no idea what that means. It's a Harry Potter reference. Got it. All my, all the, all my Harry Potter fans out there are going to understand that. Good. A signal from the surface of the earth that will be investigated by the guy that's going to die. This is a great epilogue. We finally get back to where the consequences of stealing 
and the Cree decrees finally are, are found. And the clever villain is deposited on the surface of planet Earth, and nothing good happens. Well, that's evidently your uh, your punishment. It's not death by Cree. It's just we're going to drop you off on what's left of planet Earth. Well, first of all, let's 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 skip back before we're we get to that. Also, assuming that he's dead. Well, of course he's dead because there was like seventeen roaches, literally. I mean, conveying on them jumped on him as we fade to black. So I don't think he survived that. But let's go back for one second before going back to the surface of what's left of planet earth the epilogue begins just like the epilogue to the end of season four Mm -hmm. where suddenly there's colson waking up opens the window there's the there's the star field all right phil no more sightseeing time to get back to work Mm -hmm. and that's how season four ended and we're all left huh well now we see where that picks back up and we we actually get to see the work that he's talking about and it's cobbling together a device that will help them pinpoint where the message coming from the planet's surface, what's left of the planet, which, uh, remember, they've been telling us over and over that nothing could survive there except for the roach creatures. They're working on this device to, to find out where that signal exactly pinpoint accurate is coming from. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. Super. I'm, I'm glad that we that we have this nice little tie-through. Okay, now let's go back to the surface of the Earth. There's a lot of science fiction that that I'm I, that I love. There's some science fiction that I hate. The one thing that I can't wrap my brain around, science-wise, is that how can there be any atmosphere left whatsoever to where a human? Because that's what that guy is. He's human. He's not an alien. He's human. How can a human survive on? what we're calling the the what's left of the earth i mean there, there's not that much left how can uh, even a cracked planet like that have an atmosphere i can believe alien creatures crawling on the surface of it i got no problem with that i've watched ridley scott's alien i can i can believe it a human running around on the surface i believe that there might be a base inside the crust where people are living okay no no that's fine because you're not on the surface but I've seen too much science fiction to know that if the planet isn't turning, you know, because, you know, you've got the sun, you've got the moon, and the sun gives the planet warmth, and it has to keep turning because if it doesn't turn, one side of the planet is going to get cooked while the other side of the planet freezes. Yeah. There is no rotation anymore. The Earth is cracked. Where's the atmosphere? Right. You're, you're going to hate me, I hear, I know, because mostly, hey, look at May's gangrenous wound that still has not been taken care of in general. Yeah, they took care of it. <laughs> I was satisfied on how they took care of it. And it still hurts. She's still limping. It's not like she's it's not like she's walking I, I, I get it, fine. but where, where I'm going though is the science of that and then a number of other things in that hey, look, powered individuals. Would you mind explaining the science of Daisy quick? Mm-hmm. Terrigenesis. Yeah. It's all alien, baby. Right, and that's how. And the, you know what? If this the, was the, an the, alien yeah. planet, no. then I would understand because right. maybe the rules are different on an alien planet. See, the, this is Earth, right? But you don't know that it's not. It's Earth, right? But what if the so we're, aliens, are we saying it's not Earth? No, let's say the aliens have terraformed it so that there is a more complementary 
left over in sections of the planet area for the human slaves to function. Well, I'll tell you this, Mike. If that does come up and happens to where somebody in a line of dialogue actually says, well, unbeknownst... Gonna, no, no, unbeknown, well, no, 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 unbeknownst you're, you're, to the humans... You're being a smartass. I am, but, it's not, it's but not I'm, putting it, I'm putting it, I'm putting it out there. It's not going to happen because that doesn't happen inside this show. You and I have referred to that so many times inside of this program. Because we've been told that nothing can live on the surface of the planet except for those alien creatures. Right, and remember the other factoids they had, like, I don't know, shark NATO. Okay, but I'm saying if down the line we find out that secretly the Kree terraformed and made life a little bit breathable, then I will totally concede my point and bow to your brilliance. But until I then, you should bottom my brilliance. I'm just telling but you. But until then, I still there's you're, not. You're a, digging this, into science that doesn't exist. That it doesn't exist. The, the, that's that's fine, but there there's always been that the, the, not the only would there be no atmosphere, not only would there be no atmosphere, the the gravity well of what would be Earth if it was cracked such that it was shown here, there wouldn't be any gravity either. So how would the guy walk? Exactly. And so let's show something else. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. The think guy so. could have been wearing a spacesuit, Mike. Let's put a spacesuit on the guy we're gonna kill. Come on. Hey, if, this if, is, if, if, if anything, if anything, it would have been more effective. I would have believed it more it would have been, had he been in a would space been, suit. Would have been more effective if Flunky Number Three is driving the trawler, opens up the maw, and kicks his 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 frozen ass out the front of it. It drops down and kerplops onto the ground, and then the then the aliens eat him. Okay, I would I would totally accept that. That makes more sense to me in a realistic sense because even though this is a fantasy show, we've talked about this. Even though this is a fantasy show. The thing that keeps bringing us back is the fact that they handle it realistically to where we are taken on this journey and we don't ask questions. Right. This is a point where, uh, sorry, I got to say time out. I've got a question because this doesn't make sense to me. I, I didn't have that, but we've belabored the, the point long enough to ask the audience. Let's ask the audience. <laughs> so is Nick wrong? Yes. Great. Awesome. Thanks ah, so much. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Let us know what you think by going over to our, our website. That's agentsofshield.tv. Actually, you can also get to the same content by going over to nickiswrong.com. Click on the contact button on the top right hand side. Hashtag Mike is wrong. <laughs> Fill out the quick web form. Let's and get it tell trending. Us exactly how wrong Nick is. Dot com. Dot com. All right, so I'm take a break here. During our ridiculum here, during the Agents of Shield podcast, we will be right back. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. You're probably already editing your own podcast. You may be editing other people's podcasts. Ever thought of making even more money editing podcasts? EditorCore.com is looking for a few good editors to edit podcasts inside of the EditorCore.com effort. Take the experience, skills, and knowledge you've collected over the years as you edit podcasts 
and embiggen your wallet and or purse. It's time to start monetizing the process of editing podcasts. Make your way to editorcore.com. Help us make podcasts soar at the Editor Core. Editorcore.com. That's editorcore.com. What is the genesis of horror? Do you know all the literature that spawned the genre, creating the classic films we all know and love today? Think you know your horror history? Test your knowledge and take a crash course in horror at twoguystalkinghorror.com. That's twoguystalkinghorror.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can, with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even after your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment. Real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort right now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. The Two Guys Talking Podcast Bug, a truly original autonomous mobile recording solution. Get bit by the podcast bug www.podcastbug.com Everyone, welcome back to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. This time, a focus on Season 5, Episode 3, A Life Spent, where Nick is wrong. Where Mike is wrong. Every time we come back from break, Nick and I open up our S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers. Our S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers are where Nick and I will find an actor portrayal, a twist or turn inside the storyline, or something else that trips our collective review night fantastic. Nick, what have you got inside this episode? Mike, my dossier this episode is chock full if with you say how wrong you are. <laughs> wrong! <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong. No, no. To- to- totally joking. If you say environmental suit, then we're going to turn off the podcast. And scene. My dossier is filled with the brutality of the future. Mm-hmm. We touched upon it on a handful of points, but one thing we kind of glanced over, and I'm bringing it up here, is the brutality that is this dystopian future that our, our characters have found themselves in. I know in our initial launch of season five's review, we talked about the brutality. Mm-hmm. And how being on Friday night at 9 o'clock kind of opens the doors to being a little bit more brutal. Mm-hmm. Well, nowhere is that showcased more than that gladiatorial battle between giant hulking red-eye alien creature and tiny little inhuman Abby. Specifically with 
And I'm not just talking of, you know, the final death blow. I'm talking about the whole fight. Mm -hmm. The fact that this giant creature is tossing this little girl around this room, this small room, tossing her into walls, tossing her to the floor. The brutality of seeing that, and then we get her hand going into this hulking creature's chest, and then she solidifies, and he drops. Her hand is covered in blood. And then underneath him, a pool of blood starts to form. Mm -hmm. I said it last time, and I'll say it again. There's, I, I don't think we would have been able to get away with this on a Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I agree with that, and I, and I love it. I, I love I, it. I, I I do. And remember what I said last time. I said I don't want them to just take this and and go with it and and use it because they can. Mm -hmm. It needs to help service the story. Mm -hmm. And this and and so far again, we're only three episodes in, but it's it has serviced the story. And I, as long as they keep on dealing it this way, I'm going to be a happy camper for the all of season five. Yeah, I, I I totally join you in those comments, and I'm gonna I'm I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna mirror yours, but something akin to it. Mm. The advent of my hatred of throwing people, ah, yeah, and that it is so well addressed in a variety of areas here, not just with the gladiatorial arena stuffs, but also inside of the elevator fight slash corridor fight with Daisy, mm -hmm. where she she throws the 500 pound alien and it destroys everything that she needed. Okay, well that sucks. But it's absolutely real. And it is also a convention to help foster the storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that, and that is absolutely what my dossier is filled with inside this episode. That's what we ask you guys. What's inside your S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier for this episode, Season 5, Episode 3, A Life Spent? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. It's agentsofshield.tv. Click anywhere on the right-hand side of the page. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what do you think. Ah, the rating during our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. The scale works thusly. 10. Top of the heap. A solid, densely packed, miniature fist covered in blood up to the forearm. A 1. Nick's non-existent spacesuit. Everything starts at a 7. Everything goes up with positives. <laughs> Everything goes down, like Nick's conveyance of a spacesuit. With negatives, and Nick, by the way, there are no halvesies. Nick, what have you got besides no space Especially suit? halvesies in spacesuits. <laughs> I'm not saying I want a spacesuit. I'm just saying but I believe it more if they had a spacesuit. Just say it. Like I said, we're leaving that up to the audience. The audience will decide. So okay. my, my rating for this, here we are. It's, it's episode three, mm -hmm. and already... <laughs> I kind of feel a little cheated. I was actually hoping that there were two episodes. Again, you know, I wanted a, another double double dose because I'm in the same this place. This episode's in, and I'm like, I am so craving more for another one. Yeah, this has been it. it uh, the, just three episodes in, and it is so good. Yeah. Yeah. And I now the, the, know the, those people that latch onto our podcast as mm. they're watching this during their watch of it when it is online on mm -hmm. Hulu. They're going to love this because oh, yeah. you can literally just go, and another please, right. and another please, and another please. Awesome. Can't wait. The I, I also now know that it is not just because of the eight episodes of Marvel's Crappy Inhumans. I've washed my palate of that. <laughs> this is... It, it's not, oh, it's good to be back to good storytelling. <laughs> it's, I'm back in good storytelling, and... 
here's the bar and it keeps on being raised by this show. Yes, I had problems with this episode, but guess what? It was only two problems. One of them happened at the very end of the episode, so it didn't even really ruin the enjoyment of said episode. Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about there, but okay. Of course you don't. <laughs> because anybody could walk around on the crust of a cracked earth that does not rotate at all. Science, folks. Atmosphere, schmatmosphere. Yeah, spacesuits, who need? We don't need no stinking spacesuits. Even with, even with Deke's quote-unquote turn... Because it's not. It's it's just a trope. But that's all right. I get it. Because we have to make this character continue to be useful going forward. He can't just be the naysayer the entire time. Mm-hmm. Because if, he beca- mm-hmm. if he's just the naysayer the entire time, then nobody's going to care about this character when he either A, does the right thing and then dies, or B, does the right thing and returns to the present with our cast. Because I have a feeling somebody's going to return to the, go back in time. But that's just a prediction. Even with my two complaints on this episode, I, I can't give it anything less than a 10. This was engaging storytelling. It surprised me on so many different levels. And I was entertained the entire time, and except for the last 20 seconds. Uh, again, I have no idea what you're referring of to. Of course you okay. don't. Because mm-hmm. you have space blinders on. <laughs> Space balling. So again, 10. It's a 10, man. I wish to begin my soliloquy with an advent into 10. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to figure out how, how faster to the point I can get. And I don't, I don't know that I can get any faster than that because it's a bottom line. I, I love being instantly transported into a storyline where not only am I engaged so much that I'm really, really enjoying what I'm seeing. I forgot to take freaking notes. I have to go back and, and back up several minutes to go back and, and grab the notes of what I want to actually speak to you about. Right. And I know that, that I know that's the first piece of when it's got me. The second piece is when I look at how much time is left and I go, what? There's 17 more minutes left? How, how can that possibly be? We've gotten so much already. And I love that. Mm-hmm. I, I love that I can imbibe upon the sandwich with which I love to eat, but then also revel in telling people about when I'm done with it. That's extraordinary storytelling. That is Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 10. 10, I say. And that's where we ask you, what did you give this episode? Season 5, Episode 3, A Life Spent. Let us know where you are on the scale from 1 to 10 over at our Facebook presence. That's facebook.com forward slash shield podcast. Chime in on any one of the threads that's there or start your own and tell us what you rated this episode. Until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hashtag Mike is wrong. Hashtag errant space suit. We're thankful you were able to review this covert communication. Reviewing the most recent episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the stories and soon-to-be legends on ABC. Be sure to tune in to our ongoing top-secret communication with agents all over the globe via our Facebook presence immediately. Facebook.com forward slash S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast to be the first to be made aware of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. news, the arrival of our newest reviews, and more. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a super show for fans of superheroes. Uncover the mysteries, critical information, and reviews now by accessing agentsofshield.tv. That's agentsofshield.tv.
secret two guys talking communication. That's where Chief Crid, blah, Chief Crid, blah, blah. Colonel. <laughs> colonel, thanks. He's a colonel now, remember? Uh, we just call him Chief. That way he doesn't feel like he just needs to have a monocle. <laughs> hey, Chief. Darth Vader came down from the planet Vulcan and said if I didn't ask Lorraine out, he'd melt my brain. <laughs> it's with the tone, good. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how to follow that up. That's awesome. <laughs> 